Good morning, church. It's good to be with you and a joy to share with you this morning from God's Word. And we are continuing our fall sermon series, and it actually is a fall sermon series, as this is Glory to God, the first Sunday of the new season. So, our fall sermon series is on, as Billy mentioned, the Ten Commandments, and that means that we are in Exodus chapter 20. So if you have a Bible and want to follow along, Exodus is only the second book in the Bible, so pretty easy to find. And we are in chapter 20, and today we'll especially focus on verses 4 through 6, which is the second of the Ten Commandments. Pastor Billy got this series started last week by preaching on the first commandment, where God tells his people, you shall have no other gods before me. And the second commandment, we'll find out today, is very much related to the first one in substance. So I'll read for us Exodus chapter 20, and we'll go all the way back to verse 1, and I'll read through verse 6. Exodus chapter 20, verses 1 through 6, there the Holy Spirit writes, And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Football is a way of life. Football is the air we breathe. Football is the number one religion in the South. As I reflect on my experience growing up in the South, church was a big part of my life. My family very consistently was in worship on Sunday mornings, and very often I attended our student ministry on Sunday and Wednesday nights. However, as I moved through middle school and definitely by high school, it was apparent that my ultimate allegiance lay elsewhere than Jesus. My deepest commitment, my strongest passion, and my religious devotion was given to football. Because deep in my heart, I was convinced that acceptance, love, affirmation, joy, security, and glory could be mine if I could succeed in playing ball. So I gave my heart to football. I placed my faith in it. I made football my God, my idol. Now, wait a minute. Football as a religion? Football as a God? Football's just a sport. It's just a recreational activity. 
Christianity, Islam, Judaism, Buddhism, groups like that, those are the only real religions, right? Not so fast, my friend. As God's Word often does, He makes us rethink our common assumptions, and in this case, He makes us rethink what constitutes for a religion and what makes for a God. So listen again to Exodus chapter 20, verses 4 through 6. The Lord says to His people, You shall not make for yourself a carved image or an idol or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. So what the Lord is referring to is idols or false gods. In fact, many translations use that word, idol, in this verse. You shall not make for yourself an idol. And the rest of the verse tells us that it's possible for us to make an idol out of anything that is in heaven above, the earth beneath, or the water under the earth. In other words, it's possible for us to make a God out of anything in all of creation. So here's a good and simple definition of idolatry that I've heard before. When we place anything above God, we've got an idol on our hands. For me, growing up, one of my idols was football. But there are but here are some other common idols that are identified in the Bible, and if you have eyes to see, you can see them in the world. Money, sex, our work or career, our children, material possessions, academic pursuits, power and influence, our country, our physical appearance, our spouse, and as a pastor, I must admit, ministry can be a God, and any other number of things, anything in all of creation that we put over God is an idol. And notice, a lot of these things we make into idols are good things. For instance, there's nothing wrong with money in and of itself. And sex, sex is a gift from God. It's a good thing. Work is a good thing. But when a good thing becomes a God thing, then it becomes a bad thing. Then it becomes an idol. Knowledge, power, good looks, possessions, good things in and of themselves. But when a good thing becomes a God thing, then we've got idolatry on our hands. So here's the truth that God is challenging us with this morning. The allure of idols is ever-present. The allure of idols is ever-present. If God made it, we'll worship it. That's a part of our reality now as broken humans in a broken world. Ever since sin came into our world, ever since sin came into each one of our hearts, we are prone as the Apostle says in Romans chapter 1, we are prone to worship and serve created things rather than the Creator God. The allure of idols is ever-present, and they will never satisfy. 
You see, God doesn't warn us about idolatry because he's manic about having control over our lives, like some sort of insecure tyrant. No, he warns us about idolatry because idols don't work. Idols don't satisfy because idols only take. They only take from us. For example, let's take the common idol of money. Across history, across cultures, money is as common an idol as any. And certainly, it's a false god that the Bible has a lot to say about. 1 Timothy chapter 6. Uh, we looked at this passage in July. 1 Timothy chapter 6 warns about, quote, the love of money. And Psalm 49 refers to those who, quote, trust in their wealth. In other words, these biblical passages are identifying how money can become an idol for us, a false god. But how does it work out when we give our love and our trust to money? John D. Rockefeller is considered by many to be the world's first billionaire. And I don't know about you guys, but Rockefeller, that name just sounds like he was destined for riches, right? He just sounds like a rich dude, John Rockefeller. In 1870, Rockefeller established what became the largest oil refinery of its time, a company that went by the name Standard Oil. By 1911, the company had become so large that the government ruled it a monopoly and broke the company up into 34 different companies. That's how large Standard Oil had gotten. All of this success led Rockefeller to become the world's richest man and the first billionaire ever. And the story goes that towards the end of his life, Rockefeller was asked by a reporter, Mr. Rockefeller, you are incredibly wealthy, but how much is enough? And Rockefeller replied to the reporter, how much is enough? Just a little bit more. Just a little bit more. Now, this story may only be legend, but the story has stayed alive because it has the ring of truth to it. And the truth that resonates with us is that it's never enough. There's never enough money to give us what we truly want, what we truly need. Love, acceptance, security, joy, peace, satisfaction, hope, freedom. And the same goes with any other idol that we come up with. Sex, power, possessions, physical appearance, our spouse, our children, our anything. It's never enough. They'll always leave us wanting a little bit more, a little bit more. And so the Apostle Paul says in that same chapter, in 1 Timothy chapter 6, he urges us not to set our hopes on the uncertainty of riches. Don't set your hope on the uncertainty of riches. And the same could be said about any other idol. The lives of our children are uncertain. We could lose them. The attractiveness of our bodies is uncertain. We could lose them. Indeed, we will lose them. Amen? Billy said I had hair, but it's, 
retreating. <laughs> the ability to play football is uncertain. I have lost it. About 30 pounds of muscle, about 100 pounds of my bench press, and it ain't coming back. And so it is for any other false god. They're uncertain. They never satisfy because they only take. And the Lord is especially clear in these verses about another thing that idolatry takes from us, our spiritual legacy. Look again at Exodus chapter 20, verses 5 through 6. The Lord says, You shall not bow down to idols or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. The point is, is that our spiritual commitments are going to help dictate the spiritual commitments of our children. And if we prioritize anything else over God... We may be able to hide it from others, but our children will sniff it out. They're going to be influenced by our idolatry. So friends, for our children's sake, let's repent. For our children's sake, let's turn away from all false gods in our lives. And let's not think, oh, I can do my own thing. They won't be affected. That is so naive. It is God's design that our children follow our lead, and if we don't smash the idols in our lives, then we put them in grave danger. Because idols only take. They take our time, they take our passion, they take our love, they take our trust, they take our focus, they take our spiritual legacy, and eventually, they take our souls. Jesus said in relation to the God of money, He said, what good is it if a man gains the whole world and loses his soul? What good is it if you have the best looking, most fit, most attractive body in the whole world and lose your soul? What good is it if you're the best preacher, the most compelling speaker in the whole world and lose your soul? The allure of idols is ever-present, but they will never satisfy because they only take. So what is the answer to our idolatrous dilemma? And what is the solution to our problem with idolatry? It is the God who gives. It is to know, it is to love, it is to trust the God who gives. Idols never satisfy because only God fully gives. So once more, Exodus chapter 20, verses 5 and 6. The Lord says, You shall not bow down to idols or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. So notice here, no, God will not tolerate idolatry, and his judgment for it is real, extending to the third and fourth generation, but his mercy and his favor extend 
to the thousandth generation for those who love him and follow his commands. Judgment to the third and fourth, steadfast love to the thousandth. So it's like this. Meg and I are in the middle of training our second son, Charlie, to use the potty. And when Charlie has an accident, when he goes number one, or God forbid, number two, in his pants, it is disappointing. Um, first off, the pants are going in the trash, so it's disappointing to lose clothes. It's disappointing. I know he knows better. And so I'll kind of give him a firm talking to, but we're really reserved in our negative response, I think. However, by contrast, when Charlie goes on the potty, we celebrate. We shout hallelujah. We sing praise. We dance for joy. We go to the coffee shop for a cake pop. We go to Varellans for donuts. We are stoked. It went in. He made it. So are we firm with him when he's out of line? Yes, but oh, how much more do we celebrate him and rejoice with him when he loves us and obeys our commands to go on the potty. <laughs> our disappointment goes for three or four minutes, but our joy goes to the thousandth. And so it is for God towards us. His judgment is to the third and fourth, but his blessing and his love is to the thousandth. God is just, he is holy, he will not tolerate idolatry or sin of any kind, but he is so much more eager to show love. He is so much more eager to bless. So his demeanor is not one of an angry, controlling dictator. He is a just judge, yes, but he is a caring father. He is a jealous lover. It's what he says about himself here, that he is jealous for our affection. He aches in his heart for our affection. Have you ever felt jealousy before like this? And not the insecure, envious kind, but real jealousy for the exclusive love of your beloved. It hurts. You ache for them to know you and you alone. You ache for them to feel the fullness of your love and to connect with them. The Lord aches for us to know him and for us to thrive under his care. Biblical scholar Alec Matyer writes this in his commentary on Exodus. Matyer writes, This is the way we are to think of the Ten Commandments not as cramping restrictions on a fullness of life that we might otherwise have enjoyed, but as the very gateway into the fullness we seek. This is why God has given us these commandments, that we might live life as it was intended, that we might experience fullness of life. Idols never satisfy because they only take, but God fully gives. And the hallmark, the clearest indication of God's giving nature is Jesus. 
Grace, love, acceptance, security, peace, hope, joy, freedom, all those things we're looking for from our idols, they are given to us from the true God through Jesus. And so in John chapter 10, verse 10, Jesus says this. He says, the thief, referring to the evil one, Satan, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. Through tempting us with idols, through deceiving us with false gods, Satan would steal, kill, and destroy us. Steal our identity as God's children. Kill our chances at the truly good life. And destroy the certainty of our hope. That's Satan's design. But, Jesus says, I came that my sheep, my people may have life and have it abundantly. He says, I came to give you what your soul truly longs for, a secure identity, an imperishable hope, and lasting satisfaction. And how did Jesus secure for us this life? He laid down his life for us. God so loved us, he so jealously fought for us that he gave his only son to die in our place for our forgiveness, for our idolatry, for our restoration to the true God. Idols never satisfy, they only take, but God fully gives. Won't you find life in him? Won't you find satisfaction in him? He is enough for you. His grace is enough. His love is enough. His acceptance of you is enough. His son is enough. Receive this life that is held out to us from the true God. Receive this abundant life that is in Jesus. May it be so. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father, we come before you, and I confess on our behalf that we have all fallen for the allure of false gods. We have all given in and sought the life that they offer, sought the satisfaction that they offer. God, forgive us, and God, continue to move in our hearts and reveal the idols in our lives. Show us those things that have stolen our identity. Show us those things that we've put over you. And, oh God, may we take them to the cross and leave them there. May we take them to the cross where Jesus' shameful death took on all the guilt, all the judgment that we deserved. And Father, may we leave from the cross walking in newness of life, having received the abundant life that Jesus accomplished for us through his resurrection. Make it so in this church. And so may our neighbors 
May our community see a people here who is satisfied. May they see something in us different. Hope, despite all uncertainties. Security, despite everything being taken away from us. And joy, joy down deep in our hearts. May they see that and may they wonder who our God is. Do this work in our hearts, God, we pray in Jesus' name. Friends, let's stand and sing. And if today is your day, if now is your time to put a stake in the ground, forsaking false gods and making the living God your true God, then this song will let you do it. If today is the day where you're going to say deep in your heart, Jesus, you're enough, then this song will let you do it. So let's sing, friends, with all our hearts.